We are looking at a series on the back of Easter Sunday when Jesus rose from the dead and looking at the different encounters of individuals as they met Jesus after he rose from the dead before he ascended to heaven. And we thought rather than just stop at Easter, we wanted to look at a bit of a journey to Pentecost and to journey through that start of the early church, the exciting adventure that that is. And today I want to look at doubt, doubting Thomas. And I said I was going to look at doubt next door at the 9.15 and Charlie said, are you sure? Which I thought, I thought was really funny. And to be honest, it's about as good as I've got this morning. So take that, take that one. But we want to look at doubt, and I realize as we open up this passage that it's a sensitive topic because many of us perhaps are here this morning and really struggling with doubt or really struggling with uncertainty or really struggling with their faith. And we want to be okay with that. We want to support one another. We want to care for one another in that. And I do want to pray, actually, as I was praying this week for this morning, I just got a sense that across all three gatherings, there were some people who were just here this morning actually at their wits' end, and other people wouldn't know that but you're really struggling, you're really just struggling to make sense of life and perhaps that links to how your faith in Jesus is and God wants to meet with you and just assure you of his peace and his strength this morning. So I'd love to pray for the passages we open up, but I'd love to pray for those individuals who are perhaps just really struggling as they come to church this morning. Yeah, Lord, I just thank you for your word and I pray that you would speak to us in a powerful way individually and as a church family. But I pray for those of us this morning who are, for whatever reason, hurting or struggling or just desperate, Lord. I pray that they would know such a sense of peace and comfort. I pray that it would leave Central Hall different, strengthened and encouraged. And I pray as we look at this very sensitive subject of doubt, I pray that anything that is not of you, I pray that we would not take from here. But where you want to encourage us, where you want to challenge us, I pray it would be open to both. Speak to us in a fresh and powerful way, we pray. Amen. So we are in John 20, so towards the end of the Gospel of John. I'll be on the screen, so don't worry if you haven't got it in front of you. John 20, from verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So Thomas is widely known as Doubting Thomas. And the other ten disciples have met with the risen Jesus. Judas has committed suicide. And for whatever reason, Thomas isn't here. So the obvious question really is, where is Thomas? And frankly, it's speculation. But we're asking, you know, where is Thomas? Why was he not here Had he given up looking for Jesus? Was he just despondent and didn't want to seek Jesus anymore? Had Jesus, for whatever reason, chosen not to reveal himself? Was Thomas at the supermarket or Starbucks? We just don't know. We don't know. It's speculation. But we do need to get a sense of what's going on here, the atmosphere, the environment of these disciples. I mean, imagine it. They've expected their friend to be the all-conquering leader of the Roman Empire. They expected him to be their saviour. And at this point, it would appear he's failed. 
They'd lost their friend, they'd lost their leader. Their hopes and dreams had been squashed. They would be doubting and disappointed. Why had they trusted him? Was he a false prophet? What's more, now they were living in fear. They were locked away, as this passage says. They were hiding, literally fearing for their lives. Jesus had been killed. Were they next? Were they the next to be killed for their rebellion? So was Thomas perhaps even trying to face reality? Was he trying to recognize that Jesus is dead and it's no more? Was he saying, actually, it's okay that he's gone. We just need to get a grip and deal with it. Perhaps he assumed that the other disciples were hallucinating or imagining in the vain hope in order to understand that he has risen. Perhaps the logical conclusion he drew was, stop imagining, stop dreaming, let's just deal with the fact he's gone forever more. But for whatever reason, Jesus doesn't reveal himself to Thomas. Thomas was doubting that Jesus had risen. And the first thing I want to say simply is it's okay to doubt, it's okay to wrestle, it's okay to ask questions. It's important we have space to wrestle with our questions, to doubt, to struggle, to journey with our faith. And the truth is the church at large, not just central, hasn't always dealt with questions and doubt well. We haven't always handled our struggle, our faith wrestles well. And I want to say we're sorry when we haven't done that, where you haven't felt able to share your struggles, where your faith hasn't added up, where your understanding of Jesus doesn't quite relate to those around you. We want to say sorry. Or if you felt judged or condemned, you want to say sorry, that's not okay. And we don't want to make light of any doubt you're going through. It's hard. We understand that when you're struggling with faith, when you're wrestling with conviction of faith, it's difficult. And we recognize that doubt in itself isn't a sin. We all have doubt, we all have struggles, we all have questions, and we'd be accepting one another in our doubts and questions. Hands up if you've ever doubted anything about the Christian faith. The rest of you are lying, okay? That is nonsense. All of us at times look at scripture, we hear things from the front and think, really? Did that really happen? It's a necessary part of the journey that we doubt and we question. We doubt for different reasons, don't we? We struggle for different reasons. Perhaps it's a lack of information, like Thomas, the facts don't seem to add up. Perhaps it's a major life trauma, a major struggle, and it's really made us wrestle with why do we believe what we believe? Something's tragic or desperate that's happened, and it's really shaken up what we hold to. Perhaps it's 10,000 small choices that have led to a faith crisis. I was chatting to someone a few months ago who was part of our church, actually on staff, They've moved out of the area, and they said that they haven't read their Bible since they left the church, which was five years ago, and their faith is lukewarm at best. Lots of small choices that have led to them being very far away from Jesus. Perhaps it's a political or a moral issue that's meant that we can't add that up and marry that up to our faith. Perhaps it's the environment we find ourselves, it's not feeding us and nourishing us in our faith. Perhaps it's losing connection with the body of Christ. There's a whole number of reasons why we doubt and struggle. Could it even be just tiredness and weariness? I know that I'm, when I'm tired and weary, I can get more cynical and more questioning. There's a whole number of reasons why we doubt for different lengths of time, for different seasons, for different reasons, for different severities. Many of us can struggle. But it's not only okay to wrestle with our questions. I actually think it's necessary it's necessary that we work through our faith. It's necessary that we consider why we believe what we believe. So if you have doubts and questions, don't feel guilty or condemned. Be reassured that it's part of a faith journey. As I was praying for today, I got the sense that for some of us, 
we felt like Thomas, where everyone else was on fire for Jesus, everyone else was going after the relationship with God, but I'm there questioning everything. And no one knows that, but I feel like this Thomas who's just isolated. But the truth is, we all struggle. And we have to recognize that God is okay with our doubts. God is okay with our struggle. God is okay with our questions. God is okay with the journey we're on. So what does it look like for us as a church to be okay with our doubts individually, okay with accepting one another, journeying with each other as we struggle? What does it look like for me not to isolate myself when I have questions, but equally to make sure others in my community and church don't isolate themselves? I will love it how Deborah Peters describes it. So she's talking about the event after the disciples are wrestling with who the Messiah was. They're asking, who is this Messiah? And she says this, At first glance, Jesus' reply might appear to suggest that belonging to him depends on believing in him. But in fact, what Jesus says is exactly the opposite. You struggle to believe because you don't consent to belong. In other words, belief doesn't come first. It can't come first. Belonging does. And therein lies our hope and our consolation. According to this text, whatever belief I arrive at, this life will not come from the ups and downs of my own emotional life. It will not come from a creed, a doctrine, or a cleverly worded sermon. Rather, it will come from a daily, hourly business of belonging to Jesus' flock, of walking in the footsteps of the shepherd, living in the company of fellow sheep, and listening in real time to the voice of a one whose classroom is rocky hills, hidden pastures, and deeply shadowed valleys. If I won't follow him in these layered places, both of tranquility and treachery, trust and doubt, I will never belong to him at all. Sheep know their shepherd because they are his. They walk, graze, feed and sleep in his shadow, beneath his rod and staff, within constant earshot of his voice. They believe because they have surrendered to his care, his authority, his leadership and his guidance. There is no belonging from the outside. Christianity is not a spectator sport. Belong, Jesus says. Consent to belong. Belief will follow. So first I want to simply say it's okay to doubt. It's okay to wrestle. It's okay to struggle. But let's support one another through that. Let's not isolate ourselves, not step out. Let's step in and journey with our questions and doubt together. Let's be a community that accepts one another in our faith and doubt struggles. The second thing I want to say is that the end goal isn't doubt. It's seeking Jesus. It's seeking the truth. One of the realities we find ourselves increasingly in as a culture and a society is that we're going through deconstructionism, where we deconstruct things. And in a nutshell, deconstructionism is where we have worldviews or understandings or faith or moral constructions of society, and we pull those apart in order to rebuild what we believe and understand why we believe what we believe. This could be a short-term thing, it could be a crisis of faith, but we unpack why we believe what we believe and we deconstruct things. And in a nutshell, in short, there's three stages. The first stage is we absorb information. We have information given to us and we receive it. Perhaps it's Sunday school, perhaps it's an alpha course, perhaps it's being here on Sundays, and we're given information and we receive that information. And then stage two is where we deconstruct things, we pull it apart, we ask questions. Do I really believe what my parents told me? Do I really believe what the church is saying? Do I really believe what I heard of the alpha course? Then stage three is where we rebuild our theology or our worldview or our faith based on what we've learned and we deconstruct in order to reconstruct. So here's the thing, we can't stay at stage two. 
The goal is not to finish at deconstructionism. The goal is to reconstruct, to discover Jesus, to discover truth, to discover hope and life in him. It's important that we wrestle with our questions. It's important that we deconstruct. It's important we have space to ask honest questions. But the desire is we understand who Jesus is. We meet Jesus. We understand the truth in him. We reconstruct our faith. Many of you, I can tell, are at the gym regularly lifting your weights and building your bodies like me, not. But one of the things that when you do weightlifting, etc., is that you're ripping apart your muscles in order to rebuild them bigger and stronger. When we deconstruct things, when we pull things apart, the idea is we pull them apart in order to reconstruct and to rebuild our faith, to rebuild our faith muscle stronger. The desire is we know Jesus. The desire is we understand the truth. The desire is we meet the risen Jesus. In the passage we've read, Thomas says, unless I can put my hand in your side, then I will not believe. And the reason this is so key is because some of you will know this from the Easter story, but basically the journey of crucifixion, as you know, was absolutely horrific. And what happened more than often was they were tied to the pole where they would eventually be placed on, and they would have been whipped and beaten and flogged. And then they would be asked to carry the crossbar over their head in order to be attached to the pole. And that could have been through nails, as it was with Jesus, or it could have been tied to the pole. So they were attached there. And what happened, although it was brutally painful, that wasn't what killed you. What killed you was the fact you couldn't breathe. So you're trying to push yourself up in order to breathe. So what they used to do was go and smash in the shins so you'd collapse, and therefore you weren't able to breathe. Horrendous. But Jesus was abnormal because Jesus, when they got to him, he was already dead. So he put a spear in his side and blood and water came out. So there's marks on his side that were specific to Jesus. So what Thomas is saying here is, I don't want to see an imposter. I don't want to see any old person or any old prophet. I want to see Jesus. I want to be absolutely certain I've met Jesus. He wants to be absolutely certain that it wasn't another person pretending to be Jesus. He wants to be clear that he's met the truth and hope in Jesus. He wants to meet Jesus. He questioned the others. He didn't believe the others, but his desire was to meet Jesus. The desire was to believe. The end goal was to discover the truth and hope in Jesus. We need to proactively seek Jesus, proactively seek hope and truth. We need to proactively look at his word to reconstruct our faith based on him. In many ways, Thomas should be admired for testing his faith, not wanting to be manipulated by the other disciples, but wanting to have firm foundations of his truth. The goal is always to know Jesus more fully, to understand him more deeply. I think we so often overcomplicate what is essentially a simple gospel. It says love God and love others. But the first commandment is we love God with our hearts, our minds, our souls and our strength. And for some of us who are perhaps more intellectually based, we need to think what does it look like to engage with Jesus in my body, physically worshipping him? What does it look like for me to engage with my heart emotionally? But we also have a space and a place to understand that our intellects, our minds, are to discover the truth in Jesus, to wrestle with theology, to wrestle with the hope in Jesus. And of course, Jesus always exceeds our intellect. He always knows far more than we'll ever know. But there's a space to understand. There's a space to unpack, a space to wrestle with who Jesus is, a space to wrestle with his word, a space to wrestle with why we believe what we believe. We just seek the truth. We just seek Jesus. We're to seek a relationship with him. We're to seek all our answers in him. The final verse in here is a blessing for future believers, a blessing for us. 
And people often assume that's pulling apart Thomas for not believing, but actually it's saying to us who can't physically meet Jesus, that when we meet him and discover him, that's where the blessing is. When we come to him, we reconstruct our faith on him. So we can say like Thomas, you are my Lord and my God. Not just a good leader, not just his best friend, not just a good prophet, not just another leader claiming to be the Messiah, but he was the Lord and my God. The desire is to know Jesus as the Lord and my God. This is the purpose of John's gospel. So John's gospel is such that it's laid out that we would understand this truth. And the passage we've just read is actually the close of John's gospel. So most academics will say that the verses after were added to. And why that's significant is not that those verses are less part of a canon of scripture. It's because where this is closing is Thomas knowing that the Lord is his God, that he worships. And at the start of John's gospel, John lays out the fact that I'd write this gospel so you would know Jesus and you would believe and that you would trust in him. Job done. Thomas gets it. Future believers understand it. This is the purpose of John's gospel. We would know and believe so we can say he's the Lord and my God. We can reconstruct our faith. The close of the gospel, the close of the good news is that we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That is where everything is centered upon. So what do you need in order to reconstruct your faith? What do you need to build up your faith? Do you need to do an Alpha course? We've got one starting in May. Is that going to help just to... I was going to say the Alpha course starting in May with May, which I found way funnier than it actually was. But in May, we've got an Alpha course with May, and it's a chance to explore those questions and to wrestle with why we believe what we believe. And there's no shame in going to that space and asking those questions, perhaps even if you've been a Christian for a while. Does your community need more space to be honest with each other and vulnerable people with each other and say, actually, I don't understand this. It's okay, but I don't get this. I've got questions around my resurrections. Help me with my unbelief. Do we need more time in God's word to build our faith on the truth of Scripture? What is it you need in order to get from stage two to stage three? What is it you need to not sit in a place of deconstruction, aim to reconstruct your faith, to center your life on the teaching and hope and truth of Jesus? The goal is to seek the truth. We need to be completely open to one another to ask questions and to doubt and to wrestle and struggle. But we also need to spare each other on in order to seek the truth. And finally, I want to say, we can still have faith to step out amidst our doubts and uncertainty. We can still have faith to step out and to live the adventure of radical discipleship amidst the uncertainty, amidst the wrestle, amidst the questions. Earlier in the Gospel of John, Jesus and the disciples are on the way to see Lazarus to raise, to raise him from the dead. And Thomas is on the way and they're likely to be killed because of the fact that they are being seen as rebels and they're being kind of questions as causing this up, uprising. And Thomas says, let's go and die with Jesus. He's zealous for his faith. He's zealous to go and spread the good news. After Jesus goes to be with the Father, we don't know exactly what happened with Thomas, but it's very likely he was martyred for his faith, and it's very likely he took the church to either Iran or India or both. He had a zeal and a faith. But do you think that when he left, when Jesus left earth, his questions and his doubts stopped? I don't think it did. I think he still had his questions and struggles. There's a time to wrestle. There's also a time to go, a time to step out in faith. He went to spread the good news with his struggles, with his questions. 
Our faith so often grows in a place of stretch. That's certainly my story. But when I step into stuff, even though I've got my doubts and my questions and my struggles, when I step into stuff with my wrestle, God still meets me in that intimate place. He still journeys with me. He still cares for me. He still carries me, even though I'm struggling. We learn and grow through stepping out. We learn and grow through following Jesus, even amidst the uncertainty and the questions. James says, faith without action is dead. What does it look like to put our faith in action? So often our faith can become lukewarm because we're not exercising that muscle. We can still go, we can still be used with our questions. If God was only going to use those of us without any questions or doubts this morning, then we might as well give up as a church. He uses us through our uncertainty, through our struggle, through our doubts, through our questions. I've shared this story before, I'm sure I have, but one of my favorite stories is around a guy called Blondin. This is absolutely true. But in the 19th century, he went across Niagara Falls on a tightrope, and it was about 200 feet in the air, and the Niagara Falls apparently about 1,000 feet. If that's inaccurate, then send me an email, that's fine. But it's detailed, but he goes across this, and he's juggling across, he's um, walking on his hands across. He, at one point, he goes across and sit crouches down and actually cooks an, egg, cooks an egg on a frying pan across a tightrope. Makes Britain's Got Talent look pretty lame, eh? But he does that, and I don't know why you'd want to fry an egg, but he fries an egg on this tightrope. And then he goes across with this wheelbarrow, and there's crowds and crowds of people cheering and going crazy. And he says, who thinks I can carry someone in this wheelbarrow across the Niagara Falls? And they all went, yes, of course you can, that's brilliant. Who wants to get in? deathly silence. What does it look like for us to step into that wheelbarrow, to step in the adventure with our questions, with our doubts? Yes, we look at the Niagara Falls and think, flip me, that's dangerous. But we go with our wrestles and our doubts. We go with our struggles. What does it look like for us to step in, to journey, even though we don't have all the answers and all the questions resolved? This quote by Christine Kane really struck me in the last week or so. You don't really know if you're walking by faith and not by sight until you literally cannot see, plan or prepare for the next step. Stepping out and taking a risk sounds awesome until it comes to a moment you actually have to step out and take the risk. Don't be surprised if you are hit by a wave of doubt, fear, insecurity, or even start second-guessing yourself. It's normal. The enemy wants you to stay stuck, draw back, or change your mind. This is the moment you need to be strong and very courageous. You must trust what you do know about God more than what you don't know about the future. If you don't step out, you'll never find out if it is really God or not. You have been called to more than a life of comfort, ease, safety, and security. We are invited in the faith adventure with Jesus. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. With faith, all things are possible in him. When we doubt the questioning around Jesus and the truth around him, it can lead to self-doubt. But let's be people who step out even amidst the doubt and the struggle. Where is Jesus asking you to step out? Where is he asking you to step out amidst the storms, amidst the challenges, amidst the pain and uncertainty, amidst the wrestle, amidst the struggle? It's okay to doubt. It's absolutely fine. It's part of the journey. It's part of the Christian walk to be questioning, to be wrestling. It's necessary. But let's not live there. Let's desire to meet with Jesus. Let's desire to encounter him through this. And then also, what does it look like to put our faith in action through the struggles, through the pain, through the difficulty? Let me pray for us. 
Lord, we know that one touch from a king changes everything. And I pray that across this room there'd be people who are seeking you, who can't find you, but would just have that one touch from you this morning. I pray for us as a church family that we would journey well with one another when we doubt, when we deconstruct, when we wrestle. But I pray that each and every one of us this morning would find a new hope in you. I pray we'd feel more alive and new than ever before, more intimate and close to you than ever we have walked. Holy Spirit, come and have your way amongst us, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.